There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sports. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. A very good afternoon. Welcome back to the show. Seven minutes past four on your Saturday. You are indeed listening to The Grill, where we keep you up to date with all the live sport ongoing. Football games are plenty, whether it's in England, Scotland, Spain, and there will be an early kickoff in about 55 minutes' time over in Italy. It's Fiorentina taking on Juventus. It's myself, Chris McCarty, Robbie Greenfield, Mark Archer. We're joined by two boxing well, boxing greats, I think I can safely say that. They're going to be with us in the next couple of minutes. We're going to dedicate a good 25 minutes or so to the world of boxing. We'll talk Tyson Fury, his fight over in Las Vegas a little later this evening in December as well, lest we forget we've got that big rematch between Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz Jr. And a little closer to home as well, it's fair to say, and Robbie Greenfield knows this better than most, that rugby, eh, rugby? Boxing is flourishing right now and, well... Rob, you are a bit of a boxer of some repute as well <laughs> now, right? I don't know about that. I've, got a, I've not got a single win or even a draw on my resume, so uh, <laughs> I think we can safely say that my boxing career was short-lived and is officially over. I've gone into the pastures. Oh, come I've on now. gone into retirement. Oh, come on now. We'll get you out of retirement in just a moment. Before we bring the boys into the conversation, let's go round the grounds if we can. Let's start with cricket. It is day three of that fifth Ashes test. A big thanks once again to Richard Dean. Business breakfast, Richard Dean, that is. He is well, currently over there at the Oval. He joined us 10 minutes or so ago, but give us a quick update, Arch. It is lunch at the Oval on day three of the fifth and final test. They did rubber test. Uh, Australia have wrapped the Ashes up. They lead the series 2-1, and, and it will be returning down under to Australia, the urn itself. But England making uh, good progress today, 88 for two at lunch. It means their lead over Australia is 157 runs. They have eight wickets remaining. The two wickets to fall was Burns uh, and Joe Root. Joe Root dismissed just before lunch. He was caught Steve Smith in the slip, bowled the offspin of Nathan Lyon for 21. At the crease, Joe Denley's going well, 37 not out. He's been joined by Ben Stokes, who's yet to score after facing five deliveries. So England in a strong position, 88 for two at lunch on day three. Bobby Greenfield keeping an eye on your football. 37 minutes gone at Anfield. It is Liverpool taking on Newcastle in the early kickoff in the English Premier League. Of course, there has been a two-week hiatus from club football with international football dominating much of the conversation in the past few days. This is an absolute barnstorming of an early kickoff. Loads of goals historically between these two teams. 37 minutes gone, Rob. You could make an argument that the best game of Premier League hi- yeah. history was played between these two teams. A 4-3 win for... Liverpool, I think it was, was all the way twice. back in 1996. Happened twice. It did indeed. Yes, it did. And that was the season that Newcastle potentially should have won the title yep. under Kevin Keegan. But they're a very different side now on Newcastle. They've come to Anfield looking to, pe- to play a defensive containing game and hit Liverpool on the break. They did just that in the seventh minute. It was the left-back Jetro Willems who opened the scoring with a vicious right-footed shot after outfoxing um, Trent Alexander-Arnold in the Liverpool defence. Sadio Mane has hit back for Liverpool. A nice little assist there from Andrew Robertson. Sadio Mane with a similarly emphatic right-footed shot into the top corner of the goal on the 28th minute. 38 minutes on the clock in this one, Chris, and it remains Liverpool 1, Newcastle 1. In the Championship, it is still goalless between Fulham and West Bromwich Albion. And I can tell you, in uh, La Liga, Real Madrid are leading Levante, but Levante have gotten onto the score sheet. Karim Benzema opened up with two goals inside of 31 minutes. Casemiro added another on the fourth. 40th minute and uh, as the second half kicks off on the 49th minute Boya Mayoro has uh, gotten a goal back for Levante but Real Madrid very much in command at the Bernabeu in that one. 
Celtic, by the way, leading Hamilton by a goal to nil. Yeah, Celtic still leads at New Douglas Park against Hamilton. And interestingly enough as well, Levante's goal scorer formerly of Real Madrid as well. So we'll keep you bang up to date with all the live sport. Let's welcome in our special guest to the conversation now because I did say a moment or so ago, and as, we, as I say that, we'll break away. There's been another goal. Robbie Greenfield's happy once again. It's that man again, isn't it? It is Sadio Mane, and I am absolutely delighted for all of you who have him in your fantasy team, for all you Liverpool supporters. You can rejoice because Liverpool have taken the lead on the 39th minute, and Sadio Mane, once again, not as uh, intricate, not as skillful, not as impressive as his first goal, something of a short-range, close-range effort. We're just looking at a replay. It's caught us on the hop here, but uh, Newcastle dispossessed in the middle of the park now. I'm not entirely sure it's who's Roberto played Firmino. the ball just forward. Come on. It's Roberto Firmino. There's a little bit of a mix-up. The ball bumbles loose and Sadio Mane is on hand to mop it up from close range into an empty net. Goalkeeper should do way better, but Sadio Mane is not complaining. Liverpool fans not complaining. Jurgen Klopp not complaining. Liverpool do have the lead. 39 minutes gone. It's Liverpool 2, Newcastle 1. We will keep an eye on it. As the goals go in, you will be the first to hear about it as we see a replay of it and the goalkeeper there should do an awful lot better. Let's talk boxing though because we're joined by not one but two well, British Kind of, I guess we can say boxing royalty because one of those, both of these men, you'll have heard them before, their dulcet tones have been on not only this show, Sports Tonight, when we hosted that, they've been on off script as well over the course as well. First of those is a compatriot of mine, this is a former WBO minimum weight champion, he was undefeated WBO minimum weight champion, former WBO light flyweight champion, hails from Glasgow, it's the one and only Paulie Weir. Paul, great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Alongside Paul is another man, and they call this man Silky, and Silky for good reason, because he was just absolute, he was like liquid, wasn't he, in that squared circle. Paul Silky Jones, former world boxing champion as well, professional record, 31 wins he had throughout a career, welterweight, light middleweight, middleweight and super middleweight divisions. Silky, lovely to have you on the show as well. Great to be here. Thank Boys, you. absolute pleasure. Listen, let's before we talk international boxing, loads going on. I want to get your thoughts on Fury. I want to get your thoughts on AJ as well. Let's start closer to home because both of you boys, busy boys last night, MTK Global, another big event, an international boxing event right here. I know you were involved in it, Paul. How did it go last night? I thought the show was fantastic. Uh, very busy compared to the last show they had. It's, a, it's an introduction to the sports in the Middle East. It's certainly not been a a destination for it's not been a, a boxing hotspot, no. and I think with MTK bringing the fighters over now, I think we're hoping to make it. A, a, they're hoping to make it a boxing hotspot, which I'm hoping it becomes that too. Also, we've so, been following the career of Rohan Date, who yeah. fights out yeah. of the, the real boxing only gym. He's been on our show a couple of times. He's had a lovely little run. He fought last night. He did impressive. I think. I think his opponent, Pardeep Carrera. What, do you, what, what can you tell us about that fight, Rohan? Another vi another quick win for him. It was another quick win. Uh, he started very very quickly. Uh, shut shut shut. Uh, Padip down very quickly. Had him into a corner. Padip exchanged with Rohan, and Rohan just it took a wee side step to the side and helped with a left hook. I think it was a left. Yeah, it was a left hook, and the boy went down and he was out. Question for you guys, just as it pertains to the uh, Anthony Joshua Andy Ruiz fight in Saudi Arabia. I spoke to Rohan. He was obviously very keen to see what he could do to get on the undercard. Is it merit to getting a, a, a UAE-based or a Middle East-based yeah. boxer on that undercard? Because if you're looking at attracting the crowd, you know, aside from the main event, which is obviously going to draw all the eyeballs, is there someone here that you think would merit a place on that undercard? 
Well, I know they've, they've got a couple of think Emirati fighters just now boxing. One of them, Majid, I think yeah. was a boy. He fought last night and he won again last night. I've seen him and he's fight at Emirates Golf Course. I've seen him at that fight. Not a bad kid. Uh, why not? I mean, it's all done to promotion. Majid Al-Nakbi. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think Saudi have got a professional fighter also. They do. They do, yes. Yeah. So I'd imagine possibly the two of them will be on the undercard. Which would be fantastic, there's no doubt about that, because you rightly pointed out, Paulie, that it's not a hot spot. We're trying to create the Middle East. We're trying to create a little bit of excitement. Paul Silky, you were on the comms duty last night. From your vantage point, nine fights in total on the fight card. Were you impressed with what you saw from some of the fighters last night? Yeah, I was impressed with what I saw, and I was also impressed with um, you know, the bill as, as a whole. We, we, uh, me, me as well, and, and a lot of people, often thought it wouldn't work in the Middle East, but last night was a testament that it does work if it's done right. And the, the fight card was really good. I was really impressed, was impressed with a lot of the fighters. Rohan looked very explosive. He came out, he only threw like about five or six punches, but um, the jab was working fantastic. You know, the, j the jab was controlling everything. It was a stiff, hard jab. A few to the body, and then um, he settled the left hook, stepped to the side, like Paul said, and that was an explosive finish. So it wasn't like he rushed it, but he was he was explosive, controlled explosion. Second MTK Global event held here. We saw the first one. You rightly pointed out, Paulie, down at the Emirates Golf Club. Second one was at Caesars, down on Blue Water. More to come of these, Paul. What are you hearing? Are we going to see now? A lot more opportunities for fighters here in Dubai, across the UE and across the GCC in the coming months. Yeah, um, uh, you know, I was I was told like maybe five shows are going to be on um, in a year, which is a lot of shows. And um, like I said, MTK are doing really well by pushing these shows and putting them together. How close are we to getting a mega fight here? We saw a few weeks ago, even last week, sorry, Khabib. Nurmagomedov yeah. in the UFC down in Abu Dhabi. They've made a big commitment. Abu Dhabi have partnered with the UFC, um, uh, you know, regardless of cost, to commit to five years of bringing those big fights out to the Middle East. Well, Is it possible to get a fight of the stature of, a, of an Anthony Joshua or Andy Ruiz, maybe at the Coca-Cola Arena in Dubai? Is, is that something that's going to happen in the next five years, in your opinion? It looks as if it's going to happen, because if we're just look, two hours away, in the Saudi, there's a massive fight coming up. Yeah. So I don't see why it can't happen in Dubai. Dubai's the this sort of scene where, you know, it's made for the big fight. So why not? Paul, I appreciate that there's a lot of conversations that are hard, and I'm sure you boys both. I mean, you've got your fingers on the pulse when it comes to the world of boxing. Do you get phone calls? Do you get potential promoters? Do you get people phoning saying, Paul, how do we make this happen? How can we get a big fight? Yeah, I've had it in the past, people asking me if it's a possibility. And there has been shows here in the past. If you remember back to the, the 90s, Chris Eubank fought the tennis stadium a number of years ago. Yeah. So it, ha it, it has, has been here before. Then it just kind of died away. Uh, you've had Nazim has, has spoke about it a lot when he was in the scene. Then and recently you've had Amir, Amir, Khan. Amir Khan speaking about it. I think Amir's been trying, he's been pushing to try and get something here. But it's all politics and, you know, I suppose it's who puts the money up. We've said, and I know Robbie and I have spoken about this at length, I don't know what it is, there's a feeling for me, boxing's on the up here, and it's probably because of events like MTK Global. We saw Robbie take part in Fighting Fit, again a reality show about just normal blokes and normal gals getting fit to step into the boxing ring. What are you boys seeing at grassroots level? What are you guys seeing in the gym? Are more people coming, knocking on the door and saying, hey, 
I want to give this boxing malarkey a shot. Well, they do, they do have amateur clubs in the Middle East, especially in Dubai. There is, there is box, and all the gyms are pretty busy with people boxing. But what they don't have over here for the professional side is they don't have a governing body who can regulate it. That, so I suppose if something, if something like that gets formed, I suppose it makes it a lot easier for, especially the, the fighters or potential amateurs to go professional from the Middle East to turn professional. What about you boys though? Silky, are you training? Are you, are you coaching any youngsters at the moment? Um, I'm coaching a few youngsters, but really, you know, you can just go around the gyms and you see a lot of people from the from the UK, a lot of people using um, Dubai as a training yeah. camp. So that's the next step is um, getting a governing body. I know there's a few people who've spoken to me who, who are actually in the process of, you know, linking with a, a big organisation, a governing body to, um, you know, have the Middle Eastern Boxing Association. So I'm sure it's on its way. Let's talk boxing. Let's talk boxing at the top level. And let's start with tonight, guys, if we can. And that's uh, the small hours of tomorrow morning for us here in the UAE. But in Las Vegas, it's been criticised. Tyson Fury's decision to fight someone that I didn't know much about. I've got to be honest. I've, I've looked him up, Otto Wallin. Tyson Fury himself says he doesn't know much about this guy. He's actually fought, I believe, Anthony Joshua twice at amateur level and lost on points on both of those occasions. But he's had 21 fights. He's had 20 wins and won no contest, but he's not fought anyone of note. And Tyson Fury is a man who fought Deontay Wilder in a blockbuster fight at the end of last year. We're now nearly rapidly approaching the end of this year, and he hasn't had another blockbuster fight. What's going on here, guys? Is, is this the heavyweight division simply keeping us all at bay from watching the fights that, that we want to watch and that we need to see? Why have we not seen a rematch between Wilder and Fury? The, the rematch is signed for February, yeah. the 22nd, I believe it is. So that's already penciled in to take place. But I think Wilder's got a rematch with Ortiz. Ortiz yes, yes yeah. that, that's for November or December. So he's got to get that out of the road. And I'm sure he'll come through that. And then obviously you've got the rematch with uh, Tyson and, and Wilder. But I think tonight, when we've seen Tyson fight Wilder, it, you know, it was, his, was his second or third fight back? It was his second. Second fight back. Yeah. And, and, and when you look at the performance he's done, he's had a fight since, hasn't he? Yeah, he's had a fight. Had Tom a fight Schwartz, in. I think. Tom he Schwartz, yeah. he beat yeah. Tom Schwartz in two or three rounds. Yeah. But he, yeah. he's kind of doing it in a back, back way sort of um, routine. He should have actually had these fights earlier, before the Wilder fight. But realistically, it's going to be good for boxing because he's building himself. He's getting his sharpness. So really, we might be frustrated with he's not in with Wilder straight away. But he's actually, you know, sharpening his tools. Getting the, getting the rounds and, and getting the feel of the ring because he's not been in the ring for a very long time before. Yeah. His trainer, Ben Davison, says that when he fought Wilder, he was at about 60%. He says he's now closer to 100%. The question mark with Tyson Fury is we all know he's skillful. We know he can dance around his opponents and that he's, he's probably the most skillful of all the heavyweights right now. Can he knock someone out like Deontay Wilder who's got that knockout power? Do you see that? guys from what you've seen from Tyson Fury in the performance think, against Tom Schwartz I can think each fight as, as Paul rightly said he's, he's getting better with each fight also he's building his confidence he'd been out the ring for three years best yeah. part of three years he's had three fights back four fights back so I think tonight he'll get in tonight it's a good fight for him and I think give Tyson three four rounds once he finds the range of Wallen I think Tyson will take care of him and, and I think it'll be the same as what happened to Schwartz 
Silky, do you subscribe to the view that I have that Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight in that yeah, division? Certainly, yeah. I mean, as as you might remember, I was part of the t early team. I, you know, about five, six fights yes. ago, I was in his corner. Um, to be honest with you, there was a lot of things I didn't really like, and there's a lot of things now what I do like. You know, they brought sports science into it. And I think this fight, I think, is going to look a lot stronger than he has for a long time. He well, does, he's ever done. He does, actually. Just physically, the look of him, you can just see he is just sharper, he's yeah. bigger, he's stronger. He's actually the lightest, I think, he's ever weighed in. But he's yeah. just, I think his, muscular, his muscularity has certainly increased. And you can see that perhaps he's looking to make a statement. I mean, even just from watching him uh, shadow box, you can tell a lot. And um, he, looks very, he looks a lot stronger. So I'm expecting him really to do a good job tonight. Um, not really take it, you know, like a lot of fighters, if it's not such um, a magnitude of a fight, they usually go down to the opponent's level. I'm not looking for that tonight. I'm looking for him to put on a really good show. I'm watching you, Paul. You're nodding along. Everything that yeah, Paul I says, you're nodding along. What makes him the best? I think when you, when you see the interviews with Tyson, he's always smiling and he's happy. And he's, if, he just looks as if he's enjoying what he's doing just now. And I think that makes a big difference. He's got his weight down. That'll be under control now. He looks in the best shape he's possible. He's also consistently training. So he's got the tools sharp. Yeah. And I think I think he's got a bean in his bonnet. And he wants to get that lineal championship. But I, want, I think he wants to be claimed as a lineal champion outright. If Tyson Fury is the best right now, let's switch tact a little bit. Monster fight, December the 7th, over in Saudi Arabia, putting Saudi from a sporting standpoint on the map. It is the rematch, Anthony Joshua against Andy Ruiz Jr. Interesting comments from Andy Ruiz this past week saying that for him, Anthony Joshua doesn't want to be in this fight. This is Eddie Hearn. This is Eddie Hearn telling AJ, you've got to take this fight for your trajectory, for your career to go in the direction that we want it to go in you need to right the wrong of Madison Square Garden. Do you subscribe to that, Paul? Is this a fight that AJ doesn't want anything to do with? Yeah, I think uh, Reese has got his number, for what I've seen. You know, but I, I, no one really gave Andy Reese any, any hope of no. winning that fight, but he's an experienced fighter, amateur and professional. And although AJ done well in a short period in his amateur career, he doesn't really have a lot of experience. And he's done what he's had to do at the fighters. You know, when he's hit these fighters, they've all fallen over. He's now hurt a guy who get back up, and it's probably one of these things that shatters your confidence. And you think, well, yeah, what's happening here? Interesting chat. I've actually been over in Riyadh best part of the last two months and uh, working in the sports area there, just trying to figure out what's going on. And it's an interesting fight. A, a, a in Saudi Arabia, one aspect, but Riyadh Riyadh signed a refight deal as part of his first fight package. He took the first fight at really short notice. He basically signed on to the rematch at, at very, you know, very poor terms and was unhappy about where it was and what money he was getting because Josh was still getting the share of the purse as, 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 the, um, the, as the challenger now, yeah, yeah as, as the A-side. And so it's an interesting dynamic, that element. I want to get your thoughts on that. Also some comments during the week regarding concussion that Joshua may or may not have had in the first fight, which may explain how he just didn't seem present in, into those middle rounds. Just want to get your thoughts firstly on on sort of the, the, the terms of this sort of rematch and what it means is can Joshua afford to lose and B, what is the concussion sort of elements that obviously you know, as trainers, as people around the fight game have to take you know, a, lot, a lot of caution and sort of awareness in this world now? When, when, when anyone's got a voluntary defence, they're going to sign a rematch clause because if you lose and you've not signed that clause, you've lost another payday. Yeah. 
theoretically you've lost a lot of money, especially in Joshua and Reese's terms, it's millions and millions of pounds. So they've signed that contract, the rematch clause contract, for and, and Reese will rightly have you know agreed a plus what he's going in the first fight, what he's going to get if he, if he wins and they have a rematch clause. There'll be locations where it's going to be, but when you get the belt, the dynamics change and everyone yeah. knows that. And also when he's taken it to Riyadh and what he's done quite smartly so from probably a managerial point of view they've played the political card you know the human rights case you know case yeah. and any is any any court of law is going to say he's got a point you know what I mean so what they've went back and all he's done is he's probably got himself another three four five million uh, pounds or dollars you know added on to that and once this fight if Rias wins this fight again then he walks away and Josh is in the wilderness in regards to he's going to have to regroup towards yeah. getting back in there and, uh, uh, and, and getting getting the titles back and it's probably not going to be against Ruiz because Ruiz will go down a different absolutely route. and then you've got then you've got mandatories from the governing bodies and what will happen is one will say you've got a mandatory next month or two months Ruiz can't you know fulfill that mandatory so they'll take a title and the title will go elsewhere and someone else and they'll just on the arms. subject of concussion Silky AJ mm -hmm. for you when you were watching that fight did you think something was amiss? Was he on that punch that I think was round the back? It caught him in the third round. Did he look concussed to you? He, he, he actually looked concussed now, thinking about it, when he walked into the ring. Didn't, you know, his didn't ring he, walk. Yeah. You know, he just didn't look like really Compress Mendes. He didn't really look like he knew what was happening. His, uh, his body, body his language. Demeanor. yeah, you're yeah. right. It just, it, it, there was a problem. And I believe we, we heard after um, you know, I've got people all over the place, <laughs> <laughs> and we we did hear after that it actually happened in sparring leading up to that. You know, we, we saw we saw the with the confrontation between Eddie Hearn and, and AJ Stad. Yes. So you know, AJ had a black eye in uh, in his pre-fight press conference. That's right. That he mm. just said it's just normal sparring. But what was interesting was that Rob McCracken, his trainer said and used that word concussed yeah. um, in an interview with, with Radio 5 Live. Now a group, and an, uh, I think, uh, um, I'm not sure which official group, but they jumped on this and they said if he was actually concussed and the trainer recognized this, he should have pulled him out of the fight in the third round. And Ben Davison, Tyson Fury's trainer, has leapt his defense saying, I'm sorry, but you're getting hit by heavyweights. You're going to be dazed. You're going to be stunned. That's what happens. That's the whole nature of the sport. If I was to then I should be then criticised for allowing Tyson Fury to continue when he was knocked down by Wilder in the ninth round. We're, we're on dicey territory there. If if every time a boxer is stunned or dazed by a punch, they have to pull out of the fight, is that what is that what this is, is, has come to, or, or are these people really making a comment that they don't fully understand from boxing? I think I think even the ones in boxing don't really understand because um, you know we saw also Ben Davis jumping up when Tyson got um, put down by Wilder. He was trying to stop the fight he was pulled back by the other cornerman so you know it's a bit double standards what he said there and um, you know when a fighter is hurt and concussed it's a really you know it's a dangerous thing you're playing with somebody's life so it's you know for you being working for his interest you should really be looking out for his interest and not you know the interest of boxing who wins this rematch, gentlemen? Because I know an awful lot of people, this man to my right, Robbie Greenfield included, that feel that, as you've said it, and I'll take your words, Polly, he's got his number. That Andy Ruiz Jr. has got his number. Other people think, hold on a second, he may have partied a little too hard, maybe, celebrating that victory one, and that AJ 
got a point to prove. The X factor, the surprise factor of Andy Ruiz Jr. is no longer there. Which side of that argument are you on? He's just won the heavyweight championship of the world. You can he's, let him enjoy he, it, right? He's won the lottery, he's bought a house, he's bought a car, he's, he's secured his family's future. He's got. You've got to give him a bit of credit. Yeah. And remember, he came in. At, he, although they say he came in last minute, he was fit and he just fought recently. So he never had too much out out the out the gym. This is now September. The fight's December. Now for a fighter like Ruiz, maybe four, five, six weeks gets uh, you know hard training, knuckling down, gets him ready to peak, and he's a heavyweight. So he's not as if he's. And I'm sure he comes in. He comes in in a better shape than he did the last time. Yeah. But I think what, what Josh has got to be careful is as well, if he loses a lot of weight and comes down to try and make himself a bit faster, because I believe, I mean, if you listen to Rob's tactics for the first, and I agree with Rob, what he said, if Joshua had used his height and his reach, movement, but I think in this fight, that, that's the plan, but I think you'll find Ruiz will walk him down and he'll make him work, he'll make him work every minute of every round, throwing shots, throwing shots, and I think he tires him and he wears him down and stops him again. So you're backing Ruiz. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Fancy Lightning Ruiz, yeah. strikes yeah. twice. Yeah. Well, Silky, where are you at with this? So I'm, I'm going down the hunger line. And I think Andy Ruiz is not hungry. I think, um, you know, he's been, he's been greatly fed. Um, and, what, and what he's doing is, you know, all I'm seeing, I know he's celebrating and you're going to start buying new houses and new this and new that. But I'm seeing the gold jewellery, the diamond bracelets, or, you know. And I don't think he's hungry, whereas I think now AJ has got something to prove all over again. Like like when he was coming up, I think he's going to have that hunger. You know, I do agree in a, in a certain aspect what Paul's saying. He, you know, he's got his number, but I don't think he's going to be hungry enough to exploit and capulate on, on that. Which boxer was it that said it's hard to get up at 5 a.m. when you're lying on silk sheets? Him last night. Is it, is it, <laughs> Is it Joe Frazier? Am I completely making that up? It might I can't been. remember. I need to. Nassim, that, that's ha- Nassim the, Hamid. That, that's the phrase. Was it Nassim Hamid? Nassim Hamid. Hamid. Nassim Hamid. Was it? Was it? No, I'm, I'm sure a lot of them have mentioned that, but it's interesting. You know, when we talk about styles making fights, you're absolutely right. Ruiz has got that gas tank, even though, yeah. you know, to look at him cosmetically, people have said, you know, he doesn't look like he's in shape, but he's got that incredible stamina, and AJ doesn't look comfortable. He, you know. When he fought inside, when, when, the, when the fight got close, that was when Ruiz banged him. And that's when, that's when he went down. I think, I think if he kept it fa- at range, then it never would have happened. I think there's a lot of factors that take place in the fight as well. And I think it depends who the referee is on the night. Because if you look at when uh, Andy Joshua fought Parker, yeah. the referee, every time Parker got in close, the referee split them up. So it depends on who the referee is. It's a big, it's a big factor also because if Ruiz gets in close, the referee might break him up every time and let Joshua get back to using that range. So it depends if the referee allows him to fight inside. You know. And like, I, I think what, like what Paul said about the, the worrying thing about AJ is the bulk is taken off because that actually, you know, obviously that's that's power. Mm. So he's losing a lot of bulk. So he's going to lose a lot of power, I believe. So it'd be interesting to see if, if he can make an improvement with, with a new slimline AJ. So it's interesting. Last couple from me, boys, and I'll let you get going. So we, you're saying you're backing Ruiz Jr.? I find some Ruiz again. Silky? I'm going to go AJ. AJ, I'm with you, Silky. See, yeah. Robbie's with Weary, and I'm with you on that one, Silky. I think AJ, I just, I just, for the life of me, because if he loses, 
the oh, Eddie no. Hearn AJ, it's all over. But again, it's the boxing game. I appreciate it's the fight game. It doesn't matter what's written, what's said, what's planned. It's all about what happens in the boxing ring. Before I let you boys go, I want to get both your thoughts. Vasily Lomachenko, high tech, the Matrix, call him what you will. How good is he? It's fantastic. The be best that you've seen? Yeah, it's funny because I remember having a conversation with the, the guys for MTK when he was fighting Rigondo. Yes. You know, another Olympic, because he's beat Luke Campbell, Olympic gold medalist, Rigondo, Olympic, and, and it was a case, who do you fancy? I says, I'm going to go with Rigondo. I just think his style, the way he fights, but obviously he's a lighter weight than what Lomachenko was. You know, he was moving up, they're fighting at a kind of catch weight, yeah. but Loma just dealt with him. And if you look at, if you watch, if any of the boxing fans out there watch Rigondo, and I've heard it, he's, he's, he's ruined every fight he's yeah. fought, apart from Lomachenko. I fancy Chenko to... The world's his oyster, yeah, right? Yeah, Silky, so. are you a fan? Massive fan. What, what a genius. A great fighter. Truly great. It's just a pleasure to watch him fight. It's the but, angles, right? Yeah. But I must say, Campbell has proven that he will be a world champion. Yeah. From that last... From the, unbelievable. I mean, some of the shots he did hit Lemachenko with, the uppercut in particular, was an incredible shot. You know. But um, Lemachenko, sometimes he catnaps... He's that great, truly great. I love that. Sometimes he catnaps and he can still, he gets the job done. I'm like you boys, I watch Loma and it's just, wow, genius poetry in motion. Listen, gents, anyone listening to this, anyone thinks, you know what, I want to get in a gym. I want to see what this boxing malarkey is all about. It's the best way to get in touch with both of you because I know you guys have been it. You've done the School of Hard Knocks. Weary, for you, how'd you get in touch with you? Instagram. Best place to do that? Yeah, WBO champ. WBO champ. For you, Silky, what's the best so place? So now I've, cut, I've just come off all social media, given Good it on rest, you. everything. So get, get, get in touch with me through Paul. <laughs> I love that. So it's not my percentage. WBO <laughs> champ. Weary might just take a percentage on that. You've come off. Good on you, Silky, yeah, by the way. Off. Yeah. We've been talking about doing that for a while. I could, well. I, I could actually be doing my hair and stuff. Yeah, instead just of, you know. take a rest, <laughs> read a book, enjoy yourself. Listen, boys, bless you both. It's fair to say, MTK Global here to stay. Next event, November 22nd. Correct. And you'll be involved, both of you we'll again. Be we'll Two legends, Paul Weir and Paul Silky Jones. Thank Cheers, you. Guys. Bless you, boys. Well, that's it for the boxing. Let us know your thoughts as well. Tyson Fury, he does fight Otto Wallen. Otto Wallen, the Swede. Uh, the Swede. Six foot five. Six foot five monster. Blonde hair, blue eyes. And a good looking chap, according uh, to Tyson Fury. Las Vegas this evening. Then, of course, the big one, December 7th. It is Anthony Joshua going up against Andy Ruiz Jr. You've heard it there. Paul Weir backing Ruiz Jr. Paul Silky Jones backing AJ. It's going to be an absolute belter. We'll have these boys back on the show, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. For us, we will take a little breather. When we come back, we'll go round the houses. We'll give you score updates. And we'll also keep you abreast of what's going on in the cricket. Stay with us. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Our big thanks once again to both Paul Weir and Paul Silky Jones as well for joining us. Two men that know what they're talking about when it comes to all things boxing. And these, those boys will be with us over the coming weeks as we count down to that big one. Anthony Joshua against Andy Ruiz Jr. And a reminder again, if you want to get in touch with either Paul Weir or Paul Silky Jones. Silky Jones doing the right thing. He's getting off social yeah. media. You do so by jumping on Instagram at WBO Champ. That will get you in touch with Mr. Weir. If you want to just quiz him on general knowledge, if you want to maybe get involved in a boxing, then that's the best And way at to least do it. feign an interest in Mr. Weir before you ask for Paul Silky Jones' exactly. number. Exactly. That's the advisable thing to do, or Mr. Weir may just knock you to the canvas. <laughs> that's exactly it. We've got some goals to bring you. We've got a goal in La Liga, in fact, Chris. And it's gone 
to Levante. Oof. So 3-2 now, 81 minutes on the clock. Real Madrid a little bit nervous here at the Bernabeu. Don't forget they were 3-0 up and Levante have brought things back to 3-2. I'm still waiting on uh, the identity of the goal scorer. 83 minutes on the clock. And uh, when I get that identity, I will give it to you. But until now, we saw Karim Benzema put Real Madrid 2-0 up. Casemiro made them 3-0, and it's now 3-2. Yeah, I can tell you as well, the early kickoff in the English Premier League, it remains Liverpool 2, Newcastle 1. We're into the second half of this one, 52 minutes on the clock. It was Jethro Villains who gave Newcastle a shock lead as early as the eighth minute. But Sadio Mane, his first was an absolute beaut from the Senegalese international. His second, well, it owed much to a defensive mix-up from the Newcastle standpoint but nonetheless he was in the right place at the right time and it was two goals and is two goals from Sadio Mane that has seen Liverpool take the lead in this one in this early kickoff so 52 minutes on the clock it's Liverpool 2 Newcastle 1. Certainly is and I can tell you that goal scorer Gonzalo Milero for Levante 3-2 Real Madrid lead seven minutes of normal time on the clock Chris. And in the early kickoff up in Scotland as well, I can tell you, Celtic in action, the champions, going for nine in a row this season, of course, are Celtic now under the stewardship of Neil Lennon. And I can tell you, they were leading Hamilton by a goal to nil, and that's the way that it's remained. 83 minutes on the clock at New Douglas Park. It is Hamilton nil, Celtic one, James Forrest on the score sheet. And as for the early kickoff in the English Championship, for me, the most competitive league in world football, I can tell you that Fulham have taken the lead against Slavon Bilic's West Bromwich Albion. It is Anthony Nokiart, the man who's on loan from Brighton, the French wide man who has opened the scoring four minutes into that second half. So Fulham 1, West Brom 0. Mark Archer alongside myself, Chris McCarty, and Robbie Greenfield this afternoon. You're keeping an eye on the cricket, Archie. Any more wickets? No wickets. The players have been at their 40-minute lunch break. They've just come out in the field. It's the first over after lunch. Pat Cummings is bowling and Ben Stokes has uh, scored one run. So he's off the mark. Joe Denley's 37 not out. England 89 for two now. They lead Australia by 158 runs. Eight wickets remaining. Very much in the driving seat in this test match. Of course, Australia, the urn, is heading back down under. They have a 2-1 lead in the series. So that, so whatever happens in this match, if England win, it's 2-2. And England, Australia have retained that Ashes anyway. So 89 for two. Uh, the lead is 158, Chris. You'll hear the noise, you'll hear the groans and moans behind us. A big chance that for Newcastle to level things up. It's good work down the left-hand side from Christian Atsu. I'm not sure who it was who got a bit of space time. Is it Sean Longstaff at the back post? I think it might have been number 17 it was. In fact, it was the right wing back. It's the Swede Krumpf who comes on up. And what a chance that was. He takes it on his chest, lashes it over the bar. Adrian in goals for Liverpool, not happy with his defence. That was a chance for Newcastle. It remains 2-1. Mark Archer, as I say, alongside us. Loads going on down under. NRL, AFL, playoffs were at that part yeah, of the Yeah, we're year? in a very busy time down in Australia. AFL playoffs, I can tell you also. NRL playoffs, uh, finals, elimination matches. It's all taking place. Let me give you a bit of a score up there because it has been matches live as we've been on the show here. But uh, let's start with the AFL, Aussie Rules, and it's the qualifiers weekend. All roads, of course, lead to the grand final, the MCG in two weeks' time. Oh. So we're essentially at uh, to do that. Court of quarter-final stage and some big matches you ever done week. it? Have you ever done the big big grand final? Never been to a live AFL match, actually. In, Have uh, you not? No, not, not, not in Australia I at all. I would do so, that. Yeah, it would be, it's supposed to be amazing. I think it's one of those games that, a bit like ice hockey, better to see it live.
live in the flesh um, AFL football. So much going on. But plenty of action this weekend in the AFL playoffs and the qualifiers. Semi-final yesterday at the MCG, it was the Geelong Cats were too strong for the West Coast Eagles with a 20-point victory. They won 88-68. to Tom Hawkins with kicked four goals for the Cats. The Cats are into the preliminary finals next weekend, and they'll face the Richmond Tigers for a spot in the grand final. Earlier today, it was the Greater Western Sydney team that defeated the uh, Brisbane Lions at the Gabba. And so what that means is they, they, they upset victory for the, for, for the Greater Western Sydney side, 83 points to 80. They kicked 11 goals to the Lions as 11. And it means that uh, they will take on the Collingwood Magpies in the um, other preliminary final next weekend. So we see the Cats taking on the Tigers in one of the preliminary finals, at, uh, basically a semi-final. And then we see the Greater Western Sydney side taking on the Collingwood Magpies in the second final, that's the second semi-final next weekend. So that's what's happening in the AFL. NRL playoffs, one result's just uh, come to hand here. The Manly Seagulls have been the Cronulla Sharks. 28 points to 16. The result earlier today was at AAMI Park in Melbourne where the Storm uh, lost to, was upset by the Canberra Raiders. The Raiders snuck past the Storm 12 points to 10. Yesterday, big result was the Sydney Roosters. They beat the um, their, their, their big rivals in Sydney, the South Sydney Rabbitohs at the SCG, 30 points to 6. And the match tomorrow will see the Parramatta Eels take, the Bron- take on the Broncos. So wins in the NRL for Sydney Roosters, Canberra Raiders, and the Manly Seagulls. So there you have it. That's your wrap from Down Under. It's finals footy time next couple of weeks down under in Australia. Pressure amping up on the Newcastle defence at Anfield. And Virgil van Dijk, this gives you an idea of how advanced <laughs> Newcastle are on the pitch because he has basically been playing as an auxiliary midfielder for the last 10 minutes or so, Chris. He played in Trent Alexander-Arnold, who had a wonderful chance from a tight angle on the right-hand side, fired straight at the keeper, and he's just created another chance, this time for Firmino, has Virgil van Dijk. That's been squandered as well. Liverpool are exerting an awful lot of pressure on this Newcastle back line. They're playing with fluidity, they're playing with pace, uh, the quick-witted thought as well, and... You've got to expect that a third goal, if Newcastle aren't able to stem this tide and grab a little bit more initiative back in this match, is coming. You said, Arch, that it is a busy couple of weeks down under from a sporting standpoint. We started the show by talking a little bit about the upcoming Rugby World Cup. Of course, it all kicks off in Japan next Friday. You also said, and you threw it out there, there's probably three or four teams that can win this Webb Ellis Trophy come November the 2nd. Are the Aussies one of them? I don't think Australia have the depth or the form to go on and win the Rugby World Cup. I think the Israel Folau affair has dragged on behind the scenes. It's probably going to take a toll come to World Cup time. I don't think they've got the forward strength. I think there's a couple of teams that could bully them up front in the scrum, maybe in the line-out as well, where they've been a bit inconsistent, albeit better. They're a, they're a much improved team under Michael Cech in the last 12 months, but I think there's three or four teams you can clearly state are ahead of Australia in the pecking order if you're going to have to pick winners from the Rugby World Cup. I think we all know the strengths that the All Blacks bring to the table. Let's talk about the Northern Hemisphere, Arch. Which is the most likely Northern Hemisphere team to win the World Scotland. Cup and why? <laughs> Scotland. I, I, just think, I just think England have, have the most depth. I think they've found a little bit of form. Albeit the Northern Hemisphere teams are quite hard to judge after their pre-warm-up games because they've all often played second-string yeah. mix-up teams. We've seen... Uh, Wales go number one in the world. We've seen Ireland go number one in the world. The, yeah, Ireland were beaten by 50 points by England the week before. Wales lost to Ireland. I, I don't really know who the, who, where the world rankings lie. But all those teams have shown glimpses of form, but all have suffered sort of setbacks with some injuries, some injury issues regarding all those teams. And you've got to, It's a war of attrition in a Rugby World Cup. You've got to go week in. You've got to go four or five matches and win four or five matches in a row, really, to win a World Cup, particularly your three knockout matches. And whilst I like England's, I think 
with their forward power, with their all-round developed game as a team that really can go a long way. I've sort of studied the draw a bit more, and they've got a really tough draw, but you don't see it. So it's for England to, to make the final. This is probably their form. The five matches they're going to have to win. They're going to have to beat France, have to beat Argentina, or beat one of those two teams. They're going to have got a quarter final then, probably against um, probably England's quarter final will be maybe against Australia. Then they've got to beat the All Blacks, and then they've got to go to a final. Can England win those five matches in a row? I've got I, a short I, answer for you. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm with well, you. I, I think, but I think, I think the winner of the World Cup will come from that semi-final, that side of the draw between Australia, uh, between New Zealand and England. I think those two teams are, are scheduled potentially to go head to head in a semi-final in Yokohama. The winner of that match, I think, for me, is, is going to go on and win the Rugby World Cup, unless the other side of the draw really opens up for a team like either Ireland or South Africa to come through unscathed and sort of reach the final with, with a lot of players intact. So all goes to plan. It is England, New Zealand in one of the semi-finals. Well, we're, we're making a lot of assumptions. Of course we are. Of course we are. We're going on paper, and I know tournaments, big tournaments, any sporting event does not follow to script. But if it does, it's a New Zealand-England semi and a South Africa-Wales semi. Uh, that's the way I see it. I mean, but you can read it different ways. A lot of Irishmen will argue against me saying that Ireland, you know, if they win their pool, yeah, they've got a relatively a relatively easy pool way, way to get through. Scotland's probably their hardest match. Yeah. And you think you, you know, I think you'd even you argue that Ireland have been a form team compared to Scotland in Absolutely. recent years. Absolutely. Scotland have struggled in recent months. Gregor Townsend, it's the, the juggernaut, the, the, the feel-good factor. Vern Cotter, of course, standing down. Gregor Townsend, who was a wonderful player, in his day as well he took charge and there was a real feel-good factor the work the work that he did with the Glasgow Warriors of course it's just it feels to me that that's grown to a bit of a halt in the last six months I don't know if I'm, if I'm talking nonsense or not but certainly from the time that I've been watching them I've just felt the peps going out their step a little bit that the unknown quantity if you will about Scotland isn't there anymore and we're there not there for the taking of course not but with Japan in our group alongside Ireland it could be a tough it could be a well, short and tough let, let, World Cup. let's go through this exercise let me run through the pools and get your prediction on who which two teams you think are going to advance from the pool so very simple there's four there's four pools of five teams in the Rugby World Cup the top two teams from each yep. pool go on and play quarterfinals so pool A Ireland Scotland Japan Russia and Samoa Robbie for you out of Ireland Scotland Japan Russia and Samoa who do you see the two teams going through there um, well definitely Ireland that's definitely group, uh, group and then winners. I, I do think that Japan will have, you know, a significant boost as we see with all home teams. So I'd make them and Scotland. That's a key fairly, match. Fairly. That's the big one. Fairly even. I mean, yeah, as Chris was saying, the the jam has somewhat gone out of Scotland's donuts. Yeah, a little bit. So, um, and I, I just think that that does come down to not enough consistency and strength and depth ultimately mm. Scotland have got a, a handful of good players Finn Russell's a great player they don't have as many good players as Wales and Ireland so from and Paul, England so from so Paul, therefore, Paul A we think Ireland's going to go through then either or Scotland or Japan Scotland or Japan I'll say Japan I'll put my neck yeah, out and say Japan I, honestly I'd be uh, I hate, no in fact I can't do that I'll say Ireland Scotland from Paul okay. A for me I've, I've bracketed that one of those two teams I, I've just got a sneaky feeling that it would be wonderful for rugby if Japan no. in, in a semi-final at home uh, did, I mean, they beat South Africa in the last World Cup. Exactly. They're no mugs. They're no mugs. And I think at home, they will be buoyed by the crowd. I don't think Scotland will love the conditions, let's face it. You've got a decent so, coach in Jamie Joseph. And they've got a lot of... What you don't realise about Japan is they, do, they have inherited... They have searched the... Um, the, the world's rugby players and find some sort of players who have been you know, played in that system there so we think that uh, Ireland, Ireland are going to go through from Paul A 
and then Scotland, maybe, and or Japan are the other teams. Pool B is interesting because we've got New Zealand and South Africa are standout favourites there of those two teams. Italy, Namibia, and Canada. So, so for no, you, Chris McCarty, New Zealand. That's interesting to me. That's no, very cut and dried. That's New Zealand to top it. South, South Africa to finish second. Well, the key match though, they play next next Saturday. The winner of that match goes on obviously onto one one side of the draw. If South Africa don't get past New Zealand in that first match, New Zealand have never lost a pool match at a Rugby World Cup. Yeah. So if they do get the best of South Africa and it. Losing that match is not necessarily a bad thing because that goes to me to do the, actually the easiest side of the draw. They will probably play the winner of Pool A, Ireland. For me, South Africa and Ireland, there's nothing between those two teams no. on neutral on neutral territory. And I think the form that South Africa are in, that's going to be a really fascinating match. So we think New Zealand and South Africa. Yes. Pool C, Pool C becomes interesting. England, France, Argentina, USA, and, and Tonga. Tonga. Three teams there that you can say could argue for and against I've gone England to top the group Argentina to finish second Robbie what do you think France or Argentina I concur I think Argentina is stronger than France yeah I do I really do what have you gone there I've I've put a highlight through Argentina and I'll tell you why I think Argentina have done tremendously well in in recent Rugby World Cups they've um, they've surpassed expectations and we now we see with their introduction into Super Rugby in the last three to four years the majority of that squad play together week in week out the like the, the addition of four or five players uh, from Europe who play who play mainly in the top 14, but the, that team plays together week in week out. They know each other. They're very well settled. France, on the other hand, we know that they they really struggle. They they haven't been the same force, but they do find something at World Cups. And what tends to happen with France at Rugby World Cups is they get a lot, they've had a much more longer time together. For Six Nations tournaments, they get one week because yeah. they're so dominated by their provincial game, by their super top 14. It's almost so, like the English Premier League in England. Exactly, in which football. has been to the detriment of the national team. So again, England Argies? I, I think England should be too strong, too powerful. I think uh, And the Argies to finish second? I think, well, let's, let's put the upset in there, England, Argentina. Okay, And fine. again, the, the Pool D is interesting again. Australia, Wales, Georgia, Fiji and Uruguay. For me, it's pretty clear-cut, the two teams that will go I've through I've gone Australia to win the group. Okay, so you think Australia will rich, defeat Wales? Rich history. I think Australia beat Wales and Wales finish second. Robbie, you think Wales are Six I Nations Wales champions? Win, win that group. I think Wales will win that group. Aussies I think Wales me. are... No one's you know, talking about make, Wales. Make a good case that they are the best team in 2019. Oh, right. We're going to come back to this. Case. We're going to come back to this. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back. We are just looking ahead to the start of the Rugby World Cup. It all gets underway in Japan next Friday. It will be the host Japan taking on Russia in the opening match of the 2019 Rugby World Cup. And a reminder again as well, off script, on your airwaves, 5 o'clock tomorrow. We're giving you the chance all week long to win an all-expenses-paid trip to Japan. That's flights, accommodation and two tickets to that quarter-final involving the Pool B winners and the runners-up from Pool A. That could be, that could very well be, the All Blacks against my beloved Scotland. More on that in just a second. So we have been hypothesising a little bit about who we're expecting to win the pools and finish runners-up. I've written mine quickly down. So I'm expecting quarter-finals to involve Ireland v South Africa, Scotland v New Zealand, I've got England v Wales, and I've got Australia versus Argentina. Very similar to mine, but I, I'm differing with you. I think I think Wales. Top that get, group. I think Wales will play England in one quarter final. I think Argentina will take off. Uh, England Australia, if if Australia finish second and in then that Wales ball, Argentina and Wales Argentina. So my quarter finalists are Ireland to take on South Africa, New Zealand, Scotland or Japan. <laughs> one, <laughs> yeah. one, one of those two. England Australia, 
and then Argentina, Wales, and then That's it gets a, a bit it gets a bit tougher to call. But I'm thinking that New Zealand will get past either Scotland or, or, or Japan. In terms, of, in terms of the players' arts that we should be keeping an eye on, who's going to stand out for you? Who are the, the players that, and again, I appreciate, we've got a lot of listeners that follow the rugby. I also can appreciate and hold my hands up to the fact that we've got a lot of our listeners who perhaps don't follow rugby all that much. So who are your kind of standout players? Who should we be keeping an eye on? I think for the likes of Ireland, we know that their, their, their key players will be Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray. That, yep. That's really the access that Tag holds that team together. Tag Furnall anchors the scrum. If Ireland suffer an injury to any of those three players, I think that will be a massive setback for yeah. them. And, and Rugby World Cups, teams that win it do have injury setbacks. You are going to lose players in the campaign. You're going to have to win three knockout matches, but you're going to have to get through seven or eight matches to get to the get to the final, seven matches to, to get there. So that's going to be difficult. For, for Ireland, I think those three players are, are key and pivotal. If, if Ireland lose any of those players throughout the tournament, they will struggle. New Zealand, South Africa, I think, watch out. I mean, New Zealand, you, you can name a number of players. Watch out for Adi Savia. He has been in wonderful form in Super Rugby, and he's really been in the shadow. He hasn't had been a starting All Black for a long time. Sam Kane broke his neck against South Africa this year. He's came back into the team, but Adi Savia on hard, fast pitches is a freak of an athlete, and I really watch out for his form. Richie Moanga, and of course Bowden Barrett for playing the 10 and 15 option there. Hard, fast pitches, we're gonna see Bowden Barrett, looks like attacking the All Blacks using this twin pivotal system yes. of two players, which hasn't really been shown about. I think the All Blacks are holding a few cards back, and they're gonna to look, to, look to launch it and develop it during the Rugby World Cup, which is going to be fascinating to see. South Africa, I think, much is dominated around their big forward pack. Andre Pollard, if he stays fit at number 10, is the guy that moves them around the park, and they play really good clinical football. But we just need some more action. Another goal. We've got course, another goal. We've got a beautiful goal. This, for me, is the goal of the day. Roberto Firmino, we're going to have more on him in our third and final hour on Offscript. Rude Hewitt's breakdown of his importance to Liverpool Football Club is a thing to behold. 71 minutes on the clock. He makes this goal for who, Robert? He makes it for your captain, I believe, Chris McCarty. It is Mo Salah on the score sheet. Did look like it was going to be a fruitless day for the great Egyptian player, but he's done beautifully there. He's oh. taken a little back heel from Roberto Familio. He's skipped past a despairing lunge from the Newcastle defence and it's a straightforward routine finish across the goal for Mo Salah. Beautifully made by Firmino, finished by Salah and that is Liverpool at their most potent, most incisive best. Lovely oh. little back heel and Newcastle's defence carved wide open. Salah creates the space, he sprints into the box and from there there was really only one result. Powerful left-footed finish into the bottom right-hand corner Roberto of the goal. Firmino makes it though. It's just gone five o'clock, stay with us when we come back. We're going to get more from Mark Archer on the players to watch in this 2019 Rugby World Cup. We'll keep an eye on the football, we'll go round the houses as well for you. We'll get to your text, still so much to come, stay with us. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.